Dwayne Johnson, a.k.a. The Rock, has fought all kinds of things in the movies. Earthquakes, criminals, zoo animals, and now he's up against a building. He's up against a skyscraper, in fact, in a movie that is, appropriately enough, called Skyscraper. It also features Nev Campbell as his wife, a giant crane as a giant crane, and fire as fire. I'm Stephen Thompson. And I'm Linda Holmes. We're defying gravity and saving our families on today's Pop Culture Happy Hour. Here with me and Stephen in the studio is our friend, a movie critic, and our ambassador of punching, Chris Klimek. Hi, Chris. Hello, everyone. And in our fourth chair, all the way from the Commonwealth of Massachusetts, a librarian, one half of the newsletter Two Bossy Games, and one third of the podcast Appointment Television, Margaret H. Hula Hoop Willison. Hello, Margaret. <laughs> Hi, everybody. I'm so excited, as perhaps you can tell, to have all of you here. <laughs> now, I want to start off by saying Skyscraper is, I think, exactly the movie that you expect Skyscraper to be. Sure. In all the good and bad right. ways. Dwayne Johnson plays Mason yeah. Skyscraper. <laughs> Navy SEAL turned general contractor who has, who has to punch a building. Yeah, it's a he big really, roofing job. Yeah. has to be done in 24 hours. The premise is he is a security contractor. He brings his family to this skyscraper in Hong Kong to evaluate its incredibly groundbreaking systems and all that stuff. And there are bad guys. And he, the family gets stuck in the building. And then the building's on fire. And he has to get in the building and rescue the family. And it's basically like that. Now... Chris and I saw this movie together, and I would argue that Chris and I saw this movie in the ideal circumstances, which were a room full of people who quickly decided it was okay to talk back to the movie. Am I correct, Chris? <laughs> yes, yes. The Holmes multiplier uh, was very much in effect for this movie. You know, stuff that I might not necessarily hang with all the way to the end on Encore Action at 2 a.m. If I am sitting next to you, yeah. I'm I'm. All the way there, vocally, <laughs> unequivocally. Yeah. As I said on Twitter, an infrequently mapped part of my personality is the part that's really fun to watch movies <laughs> like this with. Sure. Uh, or Fast and the Furious <laughs> movies, which Chris doesn't like but still will go to with me because... Because of the Holmes multiplier. Only, right, it's our and, thing. and only under those circumstances. Yeah, exactly, because it's our thing. Thompson, what'd you think? Well, I would apply another Holmes uh, uh, metric, which would be the Holmes index, which is a creation of Linda that determines how desirable a movie is to see in the theater based on how hot it is outside. So, for example, as I recall, when you created the Holmes index, the movie Meet Dave yeah. with uh, Eddie Murphy uh -huh. as like multiple Eddie yeah. Murphys uh -huh. needed to be 130 degrees outside. Yeah. <laughs> Before I would see. Before you would see it in a theater. Yeah. This is what people think of when they think of summer movies, right? Mm -hmm. There's a, an element of self-seriousness that has crept into a lot of big summer blockbusters. This does not have that. This is a boilerplate two-star. I mean, it is basically, and, and The Rock has described it as such, it is a cross between Die Hard and Towering Inferno with a skosh <laughs> of The Fugitive. Mm -hmm. And I don't think it is as good as Die Hard. Very, very few movies are. This is a controversial yeah. opinion. A controversial mm -hmm. opinion. Or the, or the Fugitive. Or The Fugitive. Or The Towering Inferno. Yeah. I mean, the Fugitive was, was nominated for Best Picture. Yeah. Right, uh -huh. right. So uh -huh. it really? is not very good. It's exactly, exactly what you think it's going to be. The character's name is is Will Sawyer. Uh-huh. And it, it no. really well might as well be named like Noble Man. Well, and I think you I think we will agree 
that he really should have a business card. And what it should say on it is not Will Sawyer, security expert. It is Will Sawyer, action dad. Because <laughs> Will Sawyer is the name of an action dad who has two adorable kids and a very nice and capable and tough wife who also used to be in the Navy. So they give her some some yeah. tough skills. Which I, I actually appreciate that mm-hmm. she is there for more purposes yeah. than to be rescued. Yeah. Yeah. I like to think of myself as basically action dad <laughs> minus the ability. Ability to sure. cope with heights or the upper body strength. Yeah, I gotcha. All right, uh, Margaret, I've been very much enjoying listening to you giggle all through the beginning of this conversation. So tell me how you felt about Skyscraper. I would say I agree with a lot of what Steven says, uh, but I think the movie is better in certain important spaces than it needed to be. Mm-hmm. Like, ultimately, you're going to see an action movie about The Rock fighting a skyscraper. You know what you're getting into. It doesn't have to have a wife who has a role that is bigger than just being saved, right? Uh, It doesn't have to have moments quite as well crafted where you know you're rooting for him. It doesn't have to have him be not entirely invulnerable. He's missing the lower part of his leg from the traumatic establishing incident in the beginning of the movie. And uh, all of that stuff is done really well and I think adds enormously to the movie being an enjoyable waste of time, mm-hmm. right, rather than just a plain old waste of time. Yeah. I, I I read some interesting stuff about the fact that he has a prosthetic on his leg. And, you know, in a lot of these conversations we talk about, you could have had an actor who has a prosthetic leg. But I think this mm-hmm. is a case where the alternative was probably not another actor with a prosthetic leg. It was probably the alternative was The, the Rock, rock with, without this, this yeah, aspect with, with three of the legs, character. And they thought he would be more vulnerable <laughs> if he only had two, but one of them was artificial. <laughs> with that caveat, I like the way that they use that aspect of the character in the movie because it is almost like what I said in the review is it functions a little bit like Bruce Willis winding up in bare feet right. in Die Hard, yes. which is they very carefully set up a reason for him to be in bare feet, which is just another thing he has to deal with. But it's right. not it's nothing he can't right. handle. It's just another thing you get to see him deal with. And I like the fact that they're not afraid to do things with the prosthetic yeah. right. that are kind of <laughs> witty and, and maybe, in a way. Uh, sure. <laughs> it ends up being almost like a superpower more than a disadvantage. Or things where you're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe (laughs) they did that. Um, And I liked that aspect of it. And I agree with you that it helps a movie like this for the guy not to just be a body that you can't imagine being vulnerable to anything. And if you're going to posit that Pablo Schreiber could fight The Rock, (laughs) you have to figure out a way to give uh, Pablo Schreiber some options. (laughs) You know, which they do. Right. It feels so dumb to sit here and like nitpick skyscraper. No. <laughs> but it's impossible it's not fun. to. In what some do you way? think you're Sky- saying about my entire existence, Steve? No, no. I'm. Say a, no. Like I that. say this. I say this as a man who is about to nitpick skyscraper. <laughs> there are enough echoes of Die Hard in this movie, including a villain who feels kind of Hans Gruber esque. Does he? In I a did, sense, I he didn't feel like anything. Well, I thought it po- was like villain TK. Well, that's what that's, <laughs> that's what I'm saying. <laughs> that's what I'm saying is it has superficial echoes of mm. Die Hard that made yeah. me such wish. Such as it being in a building. <laughs> such as it being in a building. And no, there, there are a lot bad. of echoes of Die of Hard. I think. And that made me wish for a script that kind of crackled a right. little bit more. Of I course. do think there are some. 
very nice decisions along the way. The Rock, if you've ever read an interview with The Rock, The Rock loves disabled veterans. Mm -hmm. And the fact that he is able to play a, a disabled vet who, you know, overcomes disability, that stuff is nice. But the actual dialogue, it just kind of sits there. There is the, one line the, in this um, movie that is not exposition. <laughs> right. Oh. And it is, if you can't fix it with duct tape, you're not using enough duct tape. <laughs> every other line. Right. Well, every line. That one's product placement. <laughs> yes. yeah. right. I mean, the first half hour of this movie is basically a visit to the Museum of Foreshadowing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, everything right. in this movie happens for, for exactly the reason you think it's happening. Uh-huh. uh-huh. Once we established, I'm never the first person to talk in a movie, but once everyone is talking in the movie, <laughs> I did have a lot of fun leaning over to Chris and occasionally said, saying, so when do we think this is going to happen? And when right. do we think this is going to happen? And we were right about basically all of them. I gave a few little cheers during the movie. Jungle, jungle. <laughs> you wouldn't think there'd be a jungle in right. a skyscraper movie, but you would be wrong. <laughs> Right, because we have to put Jumanji in this movie. There is a very channel-flipping <laughs> quality to this movie. There is. Like, I, I mean, at 103 minutes, this is still, I think, a little bit shaggy. It's a shaggy 103. Still... Like, I would argue it would be stronger without the prologue. You know, he could sure. just be yes. a veteran who lost a leg. Sure. So I have a question. Is it about Skyscraper? It's about Skyscraper. <laughs> <laughs> so you know the thing about the Uncanny Valley where right. you, you can't render realistic human faces mm-hmm. using animation. It's just something they haven't quite figured out. I am here to posit that that is also true of Flames. Oh, interesting. Mm. <laughs> I felt like I was watching a lot yeah. of CGI flames in it's, this movie. They have figured out water. Like water used to be the water thing they've that they got really nailed with, and they have got that down. But but yeah, I don't know. I, I think generally the green screen in this movie is like Weather Channel level. I mean, at no point <laughs> did I believe that Dwayne Johnson was maybe eight feet off the ground. <laughs> wait, wait, this, this is not Tom Cruise with an IMAX camera strapped to his butt. Wait, you, you didn't find this movie the, believable? I, I actually think that it's kind of a feature that many elements of the movie are not that believably terrifying. Right. Because I know at the end of the movie, everyone is going, everybody I like is going to be fine. Like maybe the businessman is going to die heroically, but like The Rock is going to be fine. Mrs. The Rock is going to be fine. <laughs> Rocklets, one the and two, rocks, they're going right. to be fine. The pebbles. <laughs> and I think that that's good. And I think that that ties into some of the stuff about stakes that this movie, I think, is doing right and wrong. So I think one of the ways that it is good to have a hero who is not invulnerable is that it gives gives you more granular stakes in the action sequences. So they don't just have to be exploded to more and more ridiculous heights, although (laughs) that certainly does happen here. But you're still kept in a a more controlled range than it's just like he's jumping into a bomb, right? Uh It's like he's uh climbing along the side of a building to reach a backup generator. I don't need plot moppets in a movie like this. Yeah. Like, I don't need there to be kids who might die for there to right. be stakes. Right. Right. That ends up being more stressful than fun for me. Like, yeah. I just would rather never see like a gun held up to the side of like an adorable curly haired girl child. Right. I hear that. What were you thinking? St- oh, I was just going to say in terms of suspension of, of disbelief. I mean, there is there are several segments in this movie that really made me pine for for Mythbusters. <laughs> there are several duct tape adjacent stunts where I just wanted like actual picture in picture of the Mythbusters guys just, just shaking shaking, their, shaking right. their heads. Yeah. Well, I mean, everybody everybody saw that meme right as soon as the poster came out, like uh, oh, plotting out the trajectory across. from which he would plummet like a dump truck full of ambles if he really, <laughs> if he really jumped off the crane like that distance from the from the building. It is but, no more realistic in the movie. You know that that is the central stunt of this movie. It's on the poster. 
words in the trailer that mm-hmm. leap off the crane. So you have to shoot it in a way that sells it, right? Now, this movie was directed by Rawson Marshall Thurber of Dodgeball, mm-hmm. right? And and uh, Central Intelligence, a comedy with Kevin Hart and Dwayne Johnson that I that I liked. I think I liked it more than this movie. And I think what I'm coming around to is is I I like him more in comedies than than in a like a straight up traditional action flick you know yeah. I, I think that plays to his strengths a, a little more alright well I, I know that not as many people saw Skyscraper this weekend as the studio was hoping but I think some of you saw Skyscraper or will see Skyscraper come and find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash PCHH or tweet us at PCHH when we come back it will be time to talk about what is making us happy this week so come right back this message comes from NPR sponsor Lisa The mattress with over 11,000 five-star reviews and a mission to end bedlessness in America. The Lisa mattress was designed to provide support and pressure relief to every body type and sleep style for a deeper night's sleep. Lisa plants a tree for every order and donates a mattress for every 10 sold. Get $125 off, free shipping, and 100 nights to try the Lisa mattress. Go to leesa.com slash NPR. Support for this NPR podcast and the following message come from Wix.com, a web platform for creating your own professional website. With Wix, whether it's your first time creating a website or you're a longtime pro, you can do it yourself. Choose from hundreds of stunning templates or start from scratch with drag-and-drop technology and powerful web features. Join over 125 million people already using Wix to create their own websites. Go to wix.com to create yours today. So what will you create? Welcome back to Pop Culture Happy Hour. It is time for our favorite segment of this week and every week. What is making us happy this week? Stephen Thompson, what is making you happy this week, buddy? I've been playing more video games with my kid, as I promised to do in the Resolutions and Predictions show. And uh, he got me into a game called Celeste that I've really been enjoying for the Nintendo Switch. In Celeste, you play Madeline, who is an anxious and depressed girl who decides she has to climb Celeste Mountain. To do that, she has to go through a million little little levels that are that are just challenges. And it is what uh, in the biz they call a 2D platformer. Uh, it is actually fairly primitively animated. Uh, anyone who has played a late stage Mario game will will kind of understand the the basics of the challenges involved. It is a weirdly uh, weirdly difficult game if you're me, but it is also a weirdly poignant game. Uh, it has all this story around these challenges about anxiety and depression, and at, at various points in the game, the the main character is actually chased by the version of herself that doubts everything she does. And there's there's just some real there's a real element of kindness and uh, humaneness to this game that is also just about trying to, co- to complete little puzzle after little puzzle after little puzzle. And you can die an infinite number of times. And I did. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I know, Linda, you've been dabbling in the in the Switch more and more if, yeah. you've, if you've gotten into Celeste. Haven't played it yet. It's not very expensive. It's mm-hmm. like 20 bucks. Mm-hmm. And uh, some will find it maddening. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, it's also, but it's also really rewarding and strangely sweet. So Celeste for the Nintendo Switch came out earlier this year. Thank you very much, Stephen Thompson. Chris Klimek, what is making you happy this week? 
I'm extremely happy about the bizarre but joyful coincidence of having Sorry to Bother You and Blind Spotting out in theaters at the same time. These are both political movies by Oakland-based hip-hop artists. I mean, you know, multi-dimensional artists, obviously Boots Riley from The Coup and, and David Diggs of Hamilton and Blackish, many other things. Music is not all they do, both getting into feature films. And the one that I happened to see yesterday is Blind Spotting. This is a film that is co-written by David Diggs and Raphael Casal. They went to high school together, have known each other since then. They are the producers and stars of this film as well. David Diggs plays an ex-con who is in the final three days of his probation, and he witnesses a police shooting. And that is all I want to say about the plot. But, uh, you know, as much of a, of a timely hook as that setup sounds like, The genius of this film is all in the execution, the way that it depicts PTSD, the way that it depicts racial problems and toxic masculinity and and all these things that, you know, as I'm hearing myself talk about it, I feel like, oh, this is going to be a, you know, a lecture movie. This is going to be a lesson. This is going to, I mean, this is a completely absorbing, brilliantly made film. It is 95 minutes long. And I, I was shocked to see that it was that short when it was over because it feels like a full emotional meal. Not because I was bored, not because I was shifting in my seat, but just because I felt like I had gone on a journey with these these characters. So Blind Spotting is getting a limited rollout on July 20th. So if you live in Chicago, New York, LA, Oakland, or Washington, DC, make sure you buy a ticket for this movie uh, so that it'll get a wider, wider release. The film is Blind Spotting, but also go see Boots Riley's Sorry to Bother You. Both these movies are great. Thank you very much, Chris Klimek. Margaret H. Hula Hoop Willison, what is making you happy this week? What is making me happy this week is a terrific sense of personal accomplishment because I have gotten my first ever byline for NPR Music, Uh, (laughs) which is like a huge deal for me because I've been listening to your programming at NPR Music, Stephen, since well before Pop Culture Happy Hour even existed. And I got to participate in one of my favorite projects that you guys do, the Rosé Wave Project, which basically is about loving music that is purely delightful, even though society would tell you to ignore it because its primary goal is to be fun and it is femme-identified. And I got to combine that with another passion of mine because I was told to create a romance novel-themed playlist. So... I got to write a little bit about romance novels and why they are the perfect thing to read in the summer. And I got to make a playlist that mirrors the arc of a romance novel in song. And it was incredibly fun. It is called Bed of Roses, a title I came up with myself, of which I am justifiably proud. <laughs> Amazing. Bless your heart, Amazing. So Bed of Roses, a playlist from Margaret H. Wilson, available through NPR Music. All right. Thank you so much, Margaret. What is making me happy this week? Uh, A couple of years ago, our buddy Glenn Weldon, sitting out of the skyscraper (laughs) episode, shockingly enough. He's he's afraid of heights. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Our buddy Glenn Weldon recommended the podcast Pitch. And that is how I met, actually, the guys who make Pitch, uh, which at the time was an independent podcast. They've now put out their new season through Audible. So if you have Amazon Prime, uh, you can get it. If you have an Audible subscription, you can get it or you can buy it. And uh, it's about music. It is a podcast full of stories about music. And in the previous incarnation, they did all the stories, Alex Kaplan and Whitney Jones, they did all the, the stories themselves. In this incarnation, they have brought in a lot of other voices and other people to do stories, which I think is really smart um, and a really good way to run your your podcast. It's just a bunch of different stories about the way that music affects people. The one that I would highlight is actually Alex's story, which is about uh, 
It's called Recognition, and it's about whether cats like music, which <laughs> sounds really funny, but it start, it tells the whole story of a guy who got into making music for cats, but it was not because he wanted to make music for cats. It was because he thought <laughs> under... It because was be- he made a deal with a demon and he lost. It was because he felt that if you could understand how music affects animals, you would be able to understand how music affects humans because you'd have something to sort of compare it to if you could tell the differences between what humans like and what cats like that would tell you what humans like about music. And the story kind of takes off from there. And as someone who currently tries to settle down my dog by uh, making my Alexa play uh, ocean sounds for him to fall asleep, I was fascinated by this idea of what calms down animals. You can find it, uh, again, through Audible, uh, through Amazon Prime, and it's called Pitch. And uh, their new season is up, so that is what is making me happy this week. And that brings us to the end of our show. You can find all of us on Twitter. You can find me at Linda Holmes. You can find Stephen at I Dislike Stephen. You can find Chris at CT Clinic and Margaret at Mrs. Friday Next. You can find our producer Jessica Reedy at Jessica underscore Reedy, our producer Vincent Acavino at V Acavino, and our producer Emeritus and music director Mike Katzeff at Mike Katzeff. Mike's band Hello Come In provides our in and out music that you are bobbing your head to right now. So thanks to all of you for being here. Thank you. Thanks for having us. And thanks for listening. If you have a second and you're so inclined, please give us a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps more folks to find the show. We will see you right back here next week. Hey, it's Guy Raz here, and on our latest episode of How I Built This, how Steve Madden took high-end shoe designs, gave them low-end prices, and turned his name into a $3 billion shoe company. You can find How I Built This on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts.